Hello and welcome to episode 54 of the Nine of Fiverr podcast with me, Roland Tanner. I am Joel McLeod. And it's our, our traditional Thursday catch-up of news across uh, the region. And uh, Joel, I know you've you've got one lined up and ready to go that's um, one of our uh, most delightful uh, 905 MPPs. <laughs> well, it's if you live in the region, you would have heard, seen it in the news, seen the headlines, but... Uh, our illustrious uh, young MPP for uh, for the region, uh, Niagara West MPP Sam Oosterhoff, is in the news again. Uh, this time, uh, he is being he's a headliner in a online uh, Zoom chat or, or Zoom event uh, discussing abortion in politics uh, for young people. Set off by a university. Uh, group, the University uh, of Ottawa Students for Life, it appears, uh, and it's helped by them, uh, the Carleton Pro-Life Network, and the University of Waterloo Students for Life. Oh, my alma mater. Um, that that in itself is not the, the bad news. Uh, I mean, an NPP is entitled to have views opposing abortion. That's not the, that, that's not the issue. The issue is uh, the organizers of this event uh, have a habit of calling abortions uh, equal to the Holocaust. Um, that that kind of hyperbole is uh, astounding in in the, in the modern day. To to you know, it, I think to compare anything to the Holocaust is, I mean, it ha, it, you have it, it kind of you, the Holocaust is kind of like, it, it's it's horrible. It's horrible for a reason. It, we compare things to the Holocaust for a reason. It shouldn't just be used flippantly. It's it was a horrible act of inhumanity on humanity. And, um, you know, it's, it's just, you kind of have to shake your head and say, yeah, I'm, I, I, want, I want to side myself with these people. I mean, come on. And I, I think it, you know, this, this is a, a, a youth group of some, or, or a, a group focused on younger people. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, it looks, um, it, it looks to me like they are campus clubs. They're, you know, every university has a network of campus clubs. They, they're typically there to enrich student life on campus. Uh, they're clubs that are organized generally by people who have like-minded interests. These are clearly pro-life students who have organized these clubs, and that is perfectly fine and I think acceptable for them to do so. Uh, but you know, you cross the line by saying, "Oh, getting an abortion is the equivalent of the Holocaust." It's not. And yeah, it, it speaks to worrying, worrying level of of. Of ignorance, or you fear that there's a growing level of ignorance amongst uh, not even the younger generation, but 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 younger, some younger adults. Um, that that using you know making that kind of comparison a is just it's it's just pathetic and, and disgusting. Um, and it speaks to an ignorance of what the Holocaust was and just how uh, you know the level of atrocity there. Well, I, um, I look at it as. You know, it, it's they're going for shock value. Clearly, they they want they want to stir up controversy just for the sake of adding controversy, which is I, I guess a sign of the times, right? You know, you want to make a a splash for yourself, and you want to make a a name for yourself. Oh, let's say something outrageous. Oh, let's compare getting an abortion to the Holocaust. Which you know, what's astounding is that it's a uni it's a university. These are campus organizations. You would think they would have hopefully one or two history students. <laughs> in in their club <laughs> in the club registers uh, because I, I I mean I I remember going to university and one of the classes I took was a the history of the Holocaust um, 
by a, a professor who that's what he did. He studied the Holocaust. Like what, how, how did it happen? What, what were the factors leading up to it? How, how could something that horrific, uh, unfolded in modern times? And you think somebody like somebody on campus said, guys, this is just one, this is, it's one line too, f or, you know, one, one note too far. You just, this doesn't make sense. And it's offensive to, uh, uh, you know, to, to Jewish people, it's, it, it's offensive to Holocaust survivors who are still alive. Um, it's it, it's offensive, and I, you know what? I'm going to you no know, shame on MPP Usterhoff for going there uh, because you're adding you're adding credibility to this argument that it, oh, it's a it's a fair comparison. I understand he has pro life views, uh, but you know what? You I I, I chalk it up to his youthful uh, ambition, uh, but and I, I applaud him for the, the being youthful and passionate, but it, it, you know it, it shows his ignorance of the topic, his lack of education on the topic, and his lack of uh, humility on the topic. Well, and um, you know, I'll be slightly less charitable to him on the on the on the issue of uh, a woman's right to choose. Uh, he is a man, a young man um, from a particular background that does not respect women. Uh, I believe, uh, a fairly extreme religious background. Um, and that was the, uh, community that, 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 that got him a nomination and got him elected. Um, mm. despite the fact he was spectacularly, uh, inexperienced and, and not totally qualified and has made a habit ever since of saying unfortunate things and doing unfortunate things like having family gatherings of 40 people without any masks uh, in the middle of a pandemic and because of well that I, on that note i, I want to just emphasize that was at a restaurant that was at a restaurant a private business that actually asked them to follow health guidelines the, the health the business wasn't trying to get in trouble the business was trying to accommodate as best they can and they 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 flat out broke the rules um you know and that's that it, it it's, I, I just, I, it's becoming very much apparent that Mr. Usterhoff is out of his depth, uh, out of his element when it comes to provincial politics. I mean, this is a, this is a, a man who, who is the parliamentary secretary for education, the minister of education, yet has never Which stepped foot. Fast. Well, he, yeah, he's never stepped foot in an Ontario public school. Um, he is. And he, here, he, here he is going to a university campus student club event, and he himself has never stepped foot in an Ontario university classroom. He, he's never, he's never been to it. He's he's not enrolled. He does he has no degree. He's not working on any degree. He's been he, he literally just got handed this plum job because you're right. This community put him in in the office, um, which is it says something about. Niagara West. I'll, I'll be honest. I mean, if the, if you can like this guy, you must. You, I'll say it. You must. You must have a, a low opinion of your elected officials, and you must just not care about your who governs you. Because this this clown, this clown says says something about you right now. His actions say something about you, and you have to ask what that is. Well, it says something about the Progressive Conservative Party leadership, um, mm -hmm. and and you know. Doug, big strong man, Doug, uh, that he will not has repeatedly refused to uh, do more than make a few gentle comments about. Well, maybe you shouldn't do that. Um, so you know, uh, Ford has condemned the group's comment about the Holocaust, but he hasn't condemned his MPP for associating with that group. 
um, same when the incident happened at the hotel. Um, uh, there were previous things that, that Usterhofer said that have been pretty uh, unfortunate. I mean, uh, making a statement outside Queen's Park that abortion would be illegal in our illegal in our lifetime or illegal in a generation so, or something like something that. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, I mean, okay, I mean, yeah, sure, you're entitled to your point of view, but you're represented, representing um, the province. And, and I think it's, you're entitled to your point of view, but you're not entitled to to have that view treated with a whole lot of respect when it's one as offensive and misogynist as uh, the uh, so-called pro-life. Uh, you know, we've had this week the Catholic Church uh, in Ontario stating that um, basically discouraging um, Catholics from from taking certain vaccines because of the, what happened in the development of certain vaccines fifty years ago. Fifty years ago. Uh, basically one or two uh, abortions used in scientific um, uh, scientific processes decades and decades and decades ago is still a reason to say to people don't take this vaccine which is so irresponsible so you know you know it's been i'm not saying anything that hasn't been said a hundred times before in most vaccines uh, uh, and i think the same goes for the flu jabs and and many vaccines that have used the, the traditional sort not the the new kind uh, during their development, um, they, they have to use human cells, um, but these were generated and uh, are not uh, don't come from humans uh, anymore. They are just simply created in the lab. Um, so you know th this is discouraging people from doing something that will that will protect their health. At the same time as on the other hand, saying we we have to uh, protect people who aren't you know this this sanctification of one stage of life when apparently you don't really seem to care very much about another stage of life. And it, it always yeah. seems like the moment you're born, they stop caring. Um, so I, I have very little patience for it. And I, I know it's... Um, I just looked up that, the, the story you're talking about. Uh, the National Post was just coming up here saying uh, that the Catholic uh, Conference, the Canadian Conference of Catholic Bishops has clarified their, uh, their stance saying that they would allow Catholics to get whatever vaccine was offered to them. Um, but yeah, it, it was... There's a question of how how the vaccines were developed, uh, you know, based on general assumptions. It, it's yeah, I mean, it, it it's this it's this about it's this backwardness of just going, you know, just trying to find a you know it frustrates me that you have this small group trying to dictate how the rest of us live. I mean, I I'm not I, I always thought that the topic of abortion is a is a complicated one. Clearly, um, I don't really want to weigh in on it in terms of the, the my my stance on it. Mostly because I myself am never going to have one. I'm never going to be in that position that I would have to make that choice. And I don't feel that it's my place to condemn or ju or judge anyone based on that. Um, I can respect that somebody else might have strong viewpoints on it. Um, but here here's the thing: is if you're going, you know, I think it, it undermines your, your viewpoint. If you're going to go for the shock value of comparing the the getting an abortion to the Holocaust, uh, it's it undermines your, your point immediately. Like it, it, to me, it just says you're, you're not we're not we're not talking fairly, or uh, this is not an apples to apples comparison. They're two very different events. They're two very different circumstances, and you're just going for shock value because you don't want to, to debate the topic on your, the merits of your argument versus the merits of mine. Any seasoned MPP would have looked at this and said, I'm not going to this. I, you may you may or may not have the, the 
you know, the, the same viewpoint, you may, you may be pro-life, but any seasoned MPP would say, no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not stepping foot in this room. I'm not stepping, or I'm not clicking join on this Zoom call because this is, you know, this is going to get, this is going to undermine my argument, which goes to kind of the maturity of Sam Oosterhoff that, you know, it's this, if you think about it, the guy just like literally just graduated from homeschool and got a six figure job where he gets to make decisions that the rest of us have to live with. I mean, that like, does this sound, does this sound like a good, like a good idea? Like this kid has no life experience. He has no idea what you Roland or I roll or I Joel am, am going through or what any of you listening at home are going through. He, he doesn't have a family to raise. He doesn't have, have to risk losing his job due to COVID. He doesn't have to worry about any of the stuff that we're going through. He just doesn't have that life experience. He can't, he can't, he can't sympathize with us on that level or try to empathize, I should say, to say, you know what, okay, I, I, I can put myself in your, in your shoes, um, which is why you get stuff like this. It's a, it's a sad, sad state of affairs. I agree. Like Doug Ford should be, uh, he, he should at the very least remove him from his parliamentary secretary job. Uh, just, just to he save should, him should, from should, future grief. The, yeah, and he, he. We all know that most most MPPs they'll find some kind of job for you that that means you're not just a backbencher. But there are some who who don't even rise to those heady heights. Um, I don't understand why this young man in his first term in office uh, would be particularly warranting any kind of position anyway. Um, it you know. I wouldn't. The youth is not the issue. We've spoken a lot about young people and getting young people elected recently. Youth is not the issue if you've got some kind of open mind and willingness to to uh, question your own assumptions. And now, I mean, I've just been stating something with great confidence that happens to be my. Um, but I am willing to speak to anybody um, to hear other points of view. I don't think Mr. Oosterhof ever has done. I doubt very much that he's ever gone to speak to. Uh, women who have been, you know, not that they'd want to speak to him, but women who have been who are the victims of uh, sexual assault or rape. Um, I'm fairly sure that his particular um, uh, pro-life attitude is pro-life in all circumstances. If I'm wrong, then correct me, but I, I, I doubt it. Um, you know, people who have been raped will be forced to have the child of their rapist. Um, the people living in extreme poverty, people, li women living in uh, circumstances that that. Uh, in which having a child does make a, a, a terrible situation a hundred times worse. I don't think he's ever had those conversations to say, you know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you should speak to people who are actually mm -hmm. living at the cutting edge because I'm never going to be, like you just said, I'm never going to be in that situation. I'm never going to be a young, poor, uh, pregnant woman in, you know, who, who's in need of uh, that help. Uh, I'm never going to have to deal with issues like uh, what happens when you make abortion illegal and the backstreet abortions and the people who die because of that. The people who are dying right now in the US because abortion has been so constrained in some states. It, um, you know, If you want to talk about people dying in miserable circumstances, people who are basically murdering and dying need needlessly, uh, I can go point at real people and not make pathetic comp comparisons to the Holocaust while I'm doing it. Um, so it's, um, yeah, you know, if he would just have some conversations or suggest some kind of open-mindedness, I'd have a little bit more sympathy for him. But everything I've seen from him suggests he's very confident that everything he thinks is already right and he doesn't need to hear from anybody. And that's the problem with uh, the PC party up and down, it seems to me. Well, it's um, a different aspect of public health. Um, 
the there's a, bit, a couple of articles. One one from um, the Spectator, Hamilton Spectator, and one from the um, uh, the Peel Pointer or the Pointer, which covers uh, uh, Peel and uh, Mississauga, um, and it, it, to do with the, the shortcomings and some some of the ways in which um, vaccines are being delivered to people who are from diverse backgrounds, for so you know non non white uh, indigenous people um, and we're we're seeing these uh, discrepancies in kind of um, the rates at which which vaccines are being distributed. So um, certainly in Peel, which everybody knows has been the real kind of red hot furnace of of COVID in Ontario, um, Peel has been excluded from various uh, trials uh, and is not um, doing as well with um, receiving supplies of uh, vaccine in certain other areas where it seems like that that they would be right at the top of the list so we're actually already seeing and uh, uh, the pointer make a good point <laughs> as they would do that um you know we're in effect in peel heading into a third wave um the seven day average has um it dipped down at the start of march to a low point and since then it has been going up um from about 130 140 cases back up over a hundred um the last few days so um you really feel that at, at the best end of the spectrum that there's a certain tone deafness um coming from the province um or failure to to, to think about focusing on areas that 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 have the greatest need um and well and the other I... end of just the traditional inability to to treat different communities with the with the attention they deserve I remember I, I was online uh, on Twitter and I saw a good, an interesting thread that like right, right now our, our vaccine distribution plan from the province is let's get every old person who can barely send an email to sign up onto an online portal to fight for a time slot to go in to a clinic and get their COVID shot. Surprise, surprise, it's run into issues and hiccups. Um, I've also, but I've seen a, an argument made that our approach to handling this pandemic shouldn't be based on uh, on age groups or age demographics. It should be based on our postal code because we know where the higher numbers of COVID are. We know that they are in, uh, and again, nobody's going to be surprised when I say this, uh, a lot of racialized communi communities, poor economic communities, we're seeing higher instances of COVID, most, of the, most because the parents in those households aren't able to isolate, stay at work from home. They have to. They are the frontline workers, or they are the ones who are working in places like the Amazon warehouse that had that had to be shut down because they had six hundred and forty some odd cases of COVID. Um, the argument was made that if we go in and start vaccinating there, we can start nipping the numbers where they start. We can we can go and target those places. I mean, of course, we should have done the the long term care homes to start. Um, absolutely, but rather than this tripping over ourselves to get grandma and grandpa vaccinated um, because I, I don't think it has, it has been working very well from what I've been reading in the various news pub publications are uh, you know, it, it's hard to get people who are not familiar with using internet to order stuff to also now sign up for your COVID uh, shot. And it is, you know, also the fact that the, the blogging site crashed the first day that it, that it went online, you know, this this doesn't bode well for a COVID vaccine rollout, and you know we we ought to be focusing on 
going where the where the disease is. Now, part of that is maybe we don't really know well because our testing was so poor to, at the beginning. Who knows? Well, like everything, it seems like we're we're, we're you know, I, there were supply issues. Obviously, we all know that there were supply issues, but I think the supply issues have been have been solved. I mean, it still seems that we we are it's a disorganized rollout. It seems to me with with every region taking its own approach with with the province mm-hmm. and the provinces across Canada, as far as I can see, being very reluctant to pick pick a route and go with it. I mean, like you say, do something do something organized you know i mean if you if you if they want if governments want us to call uh, sorry if governments want us to receive a letter they're pretty good at getting those letters to us you know like yep. tax returns or whatever you know um i find it strange that in this day and age we 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 put all the burden on 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 people to to make to just fight it out on a, on a phone line um you know and i know some people seem to get through pretty quickly and have got their appointment um, but I've also heard of people um, who just spending days on on the phone line trying to get you know someone to pick up. Why? And yeah, I mean, I, I, I you know, I'm just comparing this with you know my family in the UK, where where my brother and sister have both had their first shots, and they're they're, they're only a little bit older than me. Um, I mean, they've had a longer run up, and so to extent to an extent, it's an unfair comparison, but um, it just seems like chaotic. And, and you know, when, when you're dealing with, say, the indigenous community, where where there's a certain amount of cultural resistance um, and distrust of um, vaccinations and, and things like this, and, and rightfully when, when so, when you're then not, yeah, they, and we they, get why that is, yeah. Well, I mean, again, you know, I was thinking of. Um, it's Doug Ford calling out the, the the one MPP from Northern Ontario who is Indigenous who was invited by I believe it was the reserve or the band to come and get to get a shot to show leadership and say it is okay you're not you know it, it's okay to get your shot it's safe it is effective I'm getting it I'm going to be a community community leader and to say oh you're skipping the line you're getting back it's like how how incredibly insensitive and just tone deaf to history do you have to be to make that that call um which actually sparked us sparked me to look a little bit into into what the the history is and it's amazing that there is no actual i mean the federal government from what i understand is flying or going to the reserves to vaccinate first nations peoples great wonderful um however there are there's a huge chunk of indigenous people who don't live on reserves they live in uh our cities in, in the cities in the 905, um, I, I found this out, and this shock, shocked me. It's just a statistic: two percent of Hamilton's population is First Nations. That you know, Hamilton is not a small city, and two percent of that population is not small potatoes. It, it is, it's a huge chunk, and they are they're sitting there wondering where where's our lineup? Where do we go to get to get our our shots? And nobody has an answer. This is this is an this is an issue. This is it's a big problem for. Uh, for our vaccine rollout. I mean, you can't just allow 2% of a city's population to just fall under the radar because nobody sat down to come up with a plan. Yeah, and there's, the, I mean, the spectator mentions uh, a number of Indigenous people who received their first shot, and then there was a change of direction, and they've been told they're going to have to wait four months to get the second shot. Now, you can say, well, they've had one, so they're better, it's better than nothing, but, but it's like, you know, these are people, uh, again... Uh, the the nature of things being that the uh, people from an indigenous background are often, often uh, have a higher percentage of health challenges um, and other challenges relating to poverty and 
all manner of you know uh, problems that um, to have a kind of change of direction uh, thrown in, in that way seems very peculiar. And um, um, and like you say, I mean the the, the story with with um, with Doug Ford um, and um, and and apologies if my pronunciation is bad. It's Sol Mamakwa. Um, who is the MPP for Ki, <laughs> That's Ki right. And I, yeah, we, we really need to get better at stuff about how we pronounce things. Doing something that was really important, which is going up to his community or going into a, a First Nations community and trying to counter that distrust that we just spoke about by getting a vaccination at their invitation. And you get this thrown back in your face by the premier. Um, it's. Uh, I, I think yeah. it's supposed to be pointed out to our listeners, for those, those who aren't aware of the history, um, you know, our, our government would go to First Nations reserves back in the day um, and test drugs and vaccines on the people who live there. Um, when our government wanted to clear out a particular territory of uh, First Nations and Indigenous people who call that area home for many, many generations, they were giving gifts of blankets laced with smallpox. Um, like this, this is... If you want to talk about a, a, a community that is distrustful of government saying, "Hey, come and get this shot," this is it, folks. I mean, if it, forget the the if there's one community community that I think has a valid area uh, history of concern here, it's our First Nations um, uh, people here in Canada. This isn't you know this isn't some crackpot you know the you know the the five G no, the the Bill Gates five G network chip is going to be in the in the vaccine no these are people who legitimately say when when the government comes asking to jab you in the arm bad stuff has happened to us so yeah i mean literally under the guise of healthcare. yeah i mean that is a really really important point um that the yeah we're, we're used to 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 the men in white coats being a good sign right <laughs> right has literally been the uh you know, the, the agents of uh, of oppression and even you know, genocide coming under the guise of healthcare and uh, and uh, and looking after you. Um, so um, yeah, I mean it's again, I mean like, like you said earlier, a little bit of history goes an awful long way to to making breaking down some of these um, uh, barriers because I'm I'm pretty sure Mr. Um, Ford is fairly well, ignorant of all of that. Well, I mean I look at like here in the nine oh five. As I said earlier, two percent of Hamilton's population are indigenous. That it's not a small population. It's not a population that you can overlook or say, okay, well, the herd immunity is going to capture that and protect them. It's not. It, it is the, if you think about it, and the vaccine defense strategy, it's the weak link. If you're going to overlook it, if you're going to, if you're not going to go in there and say, okay, let's figure out a way to get this community vaccinated and taken care of, um, it, you know. We could be, you know, possibly looking at a fourth way. Like, it, it, we got to be smarter, smarter than this. We can't do this kind of. What 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 boggles my mind about it is that we're acting like we're making this up on the fly, and we've literally had a year. We we've had COVID for one year. We are we are coming up. We have passed the one year anniversary of a state of emergency being declared for this pandemic. Why why at the federal and provincial level was not immediately let's get a vaccine task force yes a vaccine might be three years away at that point it might be five years it might be never but why wouldn't you get somebody together and say let's get a plan in place forget the 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 supply part we got that figured out okay that's clumsy enough but we got that how do we get the vaccine 
to people. Okay. And what's the plan for once we get it to get into people's arms? And I understand Pfizer's, the Pfizer vaccine has to be stored like, you know, minus 70 or minus a hundred. It's a, it has to be frozen the entire time. I get that. And once you thought out immediately has to be jabbed in the arm or else it goes bad. Okay, fine. That's a detail that you can figure out rudimentary. You don't, it strikes me like nobody thought it would come up with a plan. Nobody sat down in a room and said, Hey, what, how, how do we do this? Do we put, you know, do we just tell people to go to a hospital? Do we just set up a, 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 a warehouse to, to jab people in the arm? Do we, do we just call, tell everyone to go to your family health clinic? Like, what do we do? It just, it strikes me as, I don't think anybody in the ministry of health actually thought this out or sat down and said, what are, what are the barriers? Do we need to put money into this? Do we need to buy, you know, I'm th- I was thinking like, um, like MASH, you know, the, the TV show MASH, like I, that's what in my head was thinking. It's like, oh, well, set up these pop-up tents, MASH tents around the province in Toronto and Peel and Halton and, and, and Oshawa and, and Newmarket and Niagara, and we'll set the, these pop-up field hospitals and we'll just tell people, okay, Roland Tanner, guess what? Your vaccine shot is, you know, Monday at 11 a.m. Go, you know, take, take this letter yeah, or take this email, print it off and show up with your health card. And we'll, we'll jab you in the arm with the, the COVID vaccine. That's what I assumed was going to happen. Um, clearly that's, that, that didn't happen. We're, we're, I think we're, I have the feeling we're still figuring this out and we're still tripping over our shoelaces to get uh, vaccines in the arm. And that's where to kind of bring it back to our first nations, they're getting overlooked. I, 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 yeah. I literally yeah. think that somebody yeah. said, oh, sh- they're saying, I, I, we didn't think about that. We didn't think we didn't we didn't consider that. We thought the the feds were going to figure that out. We just we didn't think native people lived in in cities. Well, and, and uh, so I mean, just to come back to the, the story about about Peel, and obviously there were obvious need um, uh, to to address um, uh, the problems that they've had because of of the of the nature of the workforce in Peel, um, and what they were excluded from is is the, um, the AstraZeneca. Um, uh, uh, vaccine, which is technically still in trial in Canada, we have five hundred thousand doses that have arrived, so people can start being vaccinated with that under the terms of it being a trial in Canada. Um, Peel has been completely excluded, um, but not Hamilton, not Toronto, not Guelph, uh, not Peter Simcoe, Muskoka. Um, um, so why why is Peel not getting any? You know, I mean, like there's, some of those areas are very clearly not um, uh, areas. Peel should have been a top priority, like. Brampton and Mississauga should have been just any excuse to get a vaccine in the arms of people there. Um, it, it, clearly, it's just it's astounding. I, again, it's just I, I'm astounded at the just how we're tripping over our feet to get this vaccine out there. I, I don't I don't think it's malicious. It's just nobody's nobody's sitting down looking at this objectively. It's just um, you know and we are, we're now in the third wave of COVID. Um, you know maybe the third time's the charm. This time we'll figure it out, people. I doubt it. But I, I get the feeling that we're like the the government's just going to forget about you know the code their color chart you know we're color code fuchsia COVID preparedness awareness whatever it is they're just they're going to try and get vaccines out the door and rightfully so but it's just going to be this chaotic mess of a situation for the next few months is what I'm predicting I hope I'm wrong but you know the last year hasn't shown me anything otherwise well uh, yeah it's, it seems like really somebody's job on March the 13th, 2000, to start planning for rolling out the vaccine and to do nothing else until the vaccine arrived. So when it arrived, there could be an orderly, systematic and logical um, uh, 
No, everybody, just jump on the phone and we'll work it out. So fine, we're doing it by age. There is a logic to that. I mean, there's a logic, but there's also a logic to, to like you say, I think definitely a logic for going after hotspots. Um, but um, yeah, it, it seems to be too much to, to ask. And um, it it's it's infuriating. What were people doing for all those months? Um, mm-hmm. you know, I know a lot of people are working extremely hard through this. and Maybe it's unfair, but does seem like some other places in the world, one of which, you know, not just because of supply, um, are doing this better. Um, so, you know, we've addressed the supply issues. Uh, frankly, we never ran out of the vaccine anyway, even while the supply was an issue, because it wasn't getting put into people that quickly. Um, so, you know, it's, it'll be good when this is over, because it's just it's just highlighted the, the, the huge weaknesses in uh, our provincial government uh, way uh, operations, um, and I think someone we really need to think again about how we deal with this kind of scale of crisis in the future, so that this this piecemeal, half-assed um, approach is is not what happens. Because I mean, this this pandemic could have been a lot worse. This could have been this this was a relatively a relatively mild pandemic as pandemics go um you know horrendous and awful and it's 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 going to take a toll that we're, we're going to be paying for the rest of our lives in a lot of ways but you know you can speak to doctors this could have been worse when, when they talk about the big one coming the kind of 1918 um it could have been more infectious it could have had a higher rate of mortality um and yet uh, we we were struggling to cope at every single step of the way to just do the most basic things of protecting uh, and it's um yeah Disappointing to say the least. Anyway, I think that probably wraps it up for um, uh, this Thursday's episode, and uh, we'll be back next week uh, with uh, with well, I think we've got a really good um, uh, interview lined up for next week. So um, we're looking forward to that one. Bye for now. <laughs>
Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network. <laughs>